The following is a hoop ball presentation. Welcome to the Fantasy NBA Today podcast. Hey everybody, it's Wednesday, it's Fantasy NBA Today, and we've got time for just a quickie today, because, as I mentioned on yesterday's podcast, today, we're headed to the hospital. Good reasons, good reasons, the uh, likely birth of child number two, but of course we're hoping to get in and out post-haste, and that's the same way that I feel about today's podcast. With, of course, all of love to you guys, you know how much I enjoy doing this show, this one is probably not going to be our best podcast ever. I am Dan Vespers at Dan Vespers on Twitter. If you'd like to give me a follow, this is, of course, a hoop ball presentation trying to keep you occupied in some small, itty bitty capacity during this full on shutdown. We're officially, by the way, at the two week mark. Although I guess yesterday was 14 days. This is now Wednesday to Wednesday, two Wednesdays out from the suspension of the NBA season. And we didn't get any real news surrounding the NBA season yesterday. But there was one big piece of NBA-related news that I thought was kind of an interesting footnote. And that was, well, I guess we should mention that the Olympics were postponed. So that's certainly NBA-related. But I don't don't have any strong thoughts on that. I mean, to me, you know, you, you look at it and you see that it's something that'll happen uh, another year. It'll probably be next year, right? You just gotta you gotta wait summer to summer. It's the Summer Olympics, so you can't just push it back a few months. But everything should largely take place the way it was expected to, with perhaps different players being a little bit dinged up. But from the NBA standpoint, it changes. I think the most of the other competitors more than it does on the NBA side. You just have to readjust your schedule a little bit, which I know logistically is a, a real pain in the butt. But at the same time, it's workable. The news I saw yesterday that I thought that, that I, I deemed somewhat relevant was that Steve Ballmer, the owner of the Los Angeles Clippers, purchased the forum, of all places, this is a world coming full circle here, from Madison Square Garden Entertainment, the Dolan's company, for $400 million cash. Have you ever heard of such a thing? This was, you know, I, listen, I, the Dolans have been such a disaster for the Knicks lately in particular that it's hard to give them credit for anything. But this, this felt like a relative fleecing by all accounts. And in this climate, just the, the sheer magnitude, the craziness of it is, is mind bending. So here's a guy, Dolan who's running out of crap dink operation on the reg, as they say. And he's got an asset that he knows another very wealthy person would like to have. Namely, an arena in Los Angeles that has basketball history tied to it. And an owner in Los Angeles that desperately wants to get his team out from the shadow of of L.A.'s big brother on the basketball side. There's a few ways to break this whole thing down. So number one, 
the idea of someone coming to you with $400 million cash is just crazy. That means that he was able to liquidate things, whatever they may be, stock, portfolio, other assets, to generate a transfer of $400 million cash. I mean, the, 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 magnet, the, the number there is just so mind-boggling. I can't... Anyway, that's not even really the point of all this. First of all, nobody is working at all, and Bomber just dropped 400 mil on a table in, in marked bills. <laughs> That's crazy. But also, from a Clippers stance, as far as the fans are concerned, look, this isn't their money. This is a billionaire's money. What's 400 million to a billionaire? He just bought the team for 2 billion. What's 400 mil on top of it? And now he's got an arena that he can attempt to turn into kind of the other large-scale indoor basketball sports and entertainment venue in L.A. Los Angeles is not at a shortage of entertainment venues, I would remind all of you guys. It is a large city and one of the entertainment capitals. Not the one, but certainly there's plenty. And from a sports standpoint, there's a lot of teams out here too. But what Balmer's done now, and, and here's the thing. Listen, I, you know, I'm you guys know I've been a Laker fan since I was about nine. And I hope that you guys also know that from listening to this podcast that I've also been an extremely pragmatic Lakers fan when it comes to fantasy sports. I think I have a pretty good eye for things with a very slight Lakers bent in the way that I interpret data. I'm not sure the Clippers ever get out from the Lakers' shadow in L.A. This is a decades-long fight that is going to have to take place. I don't know that it ever happens. But if it was ever going to happen, the Clippers had to get out of Staples Center. They had no choice. As long as you were the little brother, the team that had to play the weekend afternoon games when they're not on national TV at your arena because the Lakers and the Los Angeles Kings hockey team have dibs on picking game times at the place you play. When you're the third pick, you got no chance. You're not going to get the good times. You're not going to get the good days. You're not going to get the big audiences until you create your own universe. So at the very least, and again, I don't know that they take over Los Angeles at any, at, at any point down the line. I mean, it might, it might happen. I don't know. If I was a betting man, I would say probably not. Sort of a Lakers town. But what this does is it takes one big piece off the table, which was, does anyone think that Balmer might have been considering moving the Clippers, taking them to a new city where they could be the sole attraction this pretty much takes that off the table. He ain't buying a $400 million arena to take his team there and then promptly move them shortly thereafter. If that team ever moves, it's a long way down the line. So this, I think, has to be considered a big win for Clippers fans. They're not going to have to look at Lakers jerseys in the rafters. They can do stuff their own way. They can build their own identity. And that's a good thing. And listen, I'm not a Clippers fan. You guys know this. 
But what Steve Ballmer's done with that team in a handful of years is more than Donald Sterling had ever dreamed of doing with that club. It is truly remarkable what dedicated ownership can do for a sports franchise. They have far more impact on the day-to-day than people realize. There are these large-scale things. So, yeah, when I say the day-to-day, I don't mean that they're going to get in there and they're going to you know, crank out the TPS reports or whatever the line was from Office Space. But when they make moves like this, when they bring in key head coaches and key free agents and spruce things up and redo basketball courts across L.A. and move your team to a brand-new arena... These are all things that create a certain feel, a marketing win. The one thing the Clippers probably can't do, they're going to probably have to change their marketing angle because I don't know if you guys have seen the billboards. The Clippers this year, their marketing campaign is all about how they're the, the grit to the Lakers' glitz. Well, guys, your owner just bought a $400 million building, so... I don't know about that grit stuff anymore. When we're about to have 30% unemployment, your owner just bought a $400 million building. But that's okay. You find another marketing angle, you go that way. Clippers. We got our own spot now. Clippers. Identity. You could just be identity. That could be your whole marketing campaign. Go your own way. There's a lot of ways you can take this thing. So that's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. I don't know what the timeline's going to be on all of this. It also is going to make things scheduling-wise a little bit cooler. Lakers and Clippers games will actually be home and road games again. The funny part about all of this, of course, is that the Great Western Forum, or The Forum, which not Great Western anymore, I suppose. <laughs> the Great Western Forum, because... It was actually named after Great Western is where the Lakers played for so long. Opened in 1967. It's in Inglewood. Not that far from where I grew up, actually. I grew up in Westchester. Those of you familiar with Southern California geography. Big, round, columned entrance. It's very... You know, it, it, it has a look about it. I think you're going to see the Clippers make a number of changes to the appearance, to the look. You know, they'll, they'll make it their own. It's just so interesting to me that, you know, the Lakers were there until 1999. Kings were there until 99. Sparks were there until 2000. WNBA had just gotten started a few years prior to that. And now 20 years later, the Clippers, well, not the Clippers, but the Clippers' ownership bought the forum. How strange. How very strange. That was where the magic happened. And now, Clippers want it to be where whatever it is that they are. Uh... Clamp City. That's where Clamp City happens. Let's quickly pivot into some NBA stuff. We had left off at pick 50 after yesterday's show, and we're going to do 10 today again. 
We're going to move along at a relatively decent clip. As mentioned, this show will be a little bit shorter than some of our other episodes. Because I got to get everybody ready over here because we got to go camp out. I'm doing a camp out at the hospital. Pick number 51 actually belonged to me, oddly enough, and I went real safe. This is, this is my usual fare. You guys know me. You guys know me. I got Cat in the first round, Jimmy Butler in the second round, Andre Drummond in the third, Donovan Mitchell in the fourth, and here in the fifth, DeMar DeRozan at 51. Because he's DeMar DeRozan. He's the same damn guy every time. He's number 40, by the way, in 8-cat this year. I don't think people realize that he's actually been pretty damn good. Strong in percentages, scores, boards, assists, get you a steal. I just, I love guys that have strong percentages. You guys know that about me. It's a little bit more of a, a roto win because two of his eight strong categories are the stuff that fluctuates pretty heavily on a week-to-week basis in head-to-head leagues. But boy, in roto, if you pump that volume... 16 shots a game at 53% shooting, 6.6 free throws a game at 84%. That's big. That's really big. I'm not going to defend myself. I mean, it's a boring-ass pick, but whatever. It is what it is. Demontis Sabonis went at 52. He's been someone that, as we know, got off to a great start this year and then has petered out just a little bit. He's been pretty darn durable, which is certainly helping his cause. But at the same time, I, you know, when I look at his numbers, he's number 42 in 8-cat right now. So this is, to me, a pretty decent spot to get him. I don't, you know, I don't see him taking a large step backwards. I also don't know that we see him taking a large step forward. The only spot I look at his numbers and think, okay, maybe you see a slight improvement there would be free throws. He's about 5 a game at 72%. If that even got up to 74, it would be a pretty big difference maker for his value. But 18.5 points, 12.5 rebounds, 5 assists a game this year, which is a number that probably comes down if Indiana's fully healthy anyway. And yet, if he's fallen that far, you, you kind of have to take him. 52. Hassan Whiteside went at 53. That's our buddy Josh Millman. I, I want to ask him about this one because... You know, maybe this is the assumption that he's on another team. Or that Yusuf Nurkic and he are splitting their time at center. Because Whiteside this year in 31 minutes a game is a top 15 guy in 8-cat. What if you peel that back to 20 to 22 minutes a game? Is that what we're looking at? Maybe. If he's still in Portland. If he's somewhere else, there's an interesting angle to be had here on, well... There's a kind of a guessing game, of course. We are doing this this draft in March. But we'll talk to Josh at the end of all this. I would love his logic on this one. Rashawn Holmes went at 54. Yeah, I mean, you can't argue with that one. We've talked about before. He's one of the few guys who sees a downtick in 8-cap because turnovers among the top guys. This is actually one of his strong categories. So he's at 45 in 8-cat leagues. It seems like he's played his way into a more substantial, attainable role going forward. I would hope so. But then, honest to goodness, who knows, right? With the Kings, they might just demote him and play Marvin Bagley heavy minutes and Nemanja Bialica. And the whole thing just goes up in flames. I really don't know. I mean, you have to take a chance on him. But the problem is that having his big year this season the way he did has wiped out a lot of that appeal 
that we had for him the last couple of years. Hey, he's your late last round flyer that has top 50 upside. Now everybody knows about him. So our hoop ball love for Rashawn Holmes, we sort of, I mean, we were ahead of the curve on that. And then the key here is where is, where will he sit this coming season? There becomes that question mark. We actually have to spend a little to get him. LaMarcus Aldridge went at number 55. You guys know I love him in nine category leagues, a little bit less intriguing in eight cat, and probably you'll you'll continue to see ever so slight downward trajectory for his career, but he's number 41 in eight cat this year, so he still is above this spot. And until the era comes when he's not getting drafted a round and a half lower than where he was the previous year, then I'm going to keep looking at him. I didn't get him here. I probably could have taken him at 51, but I thought, eh, you know, I'll go with somebody I think is a little bit safer. But Aldridge's having a great season. Again. Mitchell Robinson went at 56. He's been much, much better the second half of this season. He's been able to push his fantasy value up, particularly in nine cat leagues with his very low turnovers. He's at 80 in eight cat. Question is, can he get those blocks back up to two and a half? The fact that the Knicks didn't get any of the free agents they were hunting for means he, Robinson, I should say, still has some time left to grow and convince ownership and coaches and whatever that he's their guy of the future. And that's good for his value. As someone who commits 0.6 turnovers a game and that being a big part of his value, it's a little bit tough to spend an eight-category early pick on him. Now we're into sort of that middle chunk. Again, this is 56. Yeah, I think I'd take a chance on him at 56, even an eight-cat, because he has the ability to get you two and a half, three blocks a game, and there's just very few guys that can win you a category like that. Not surprisingly, Miles Turner actually went next, and I would make pretty much the same argument there although Turner's at 67 in eight-category leagues. And I don't know that his numbers are going anywhere as long as Demonis Sabonis is the starting center on that team. Jamal Murray went at pick number 58. Honest to God, I had no idea where he was when I started doing today's show. He's number 50 in eight-cat. His turnovers don't change his value all that much. Pretty close to the same mark in both. 19 points, 4 boards, 5 assists, 1.2 steals. Very good foul shooter. One of his better categories. That's probably about where he's going to sit for a long, long time. Denver is moving some of their depth. I think Paul Millsap, you'll see his contract. That probably goes away. So Jeremy Grant will see more time. You know, what happens to guys like Monty Morris? They traded Malik Beasley. They still have other decent backups on that team, but I don't know, man. I mean, Jamal Murray playing 33 minutes at this level, this feels he's almost moved into kind of a we-basically-know-what-we're-getting kind of spot with him. Jonas Valanciunas at 59. Uh, this one makes me nervous here. He's 53 and 8-cat right now, and I, I legitimately have no idea what his role is going to be next year. He's a guy that I'll have a much better idea of as we get closer. As it stands, he's been uh, a rock. For fantasy teams. Got off to a little bit of a slow start with a foot injury, but he's come on so strong, so solid, and he's been a top 50 guy in both formats uh, basically the last four months of the year. So that's fine at 59, but well, I think I'd like to have more data on him as we get closer. Steven Adams at pick 60. I don't think I can get on board with this one. We've had a lot of really interesting picks so far. I've, I've seen the, the logic in a lot of them. 
this is the first one where I'm not fully following it, and I'm looking forward to talking to Mike Barner on the show at some point down the line. We'll get the logic on all these guys. Steven Adams is number 91 this year. He's a terrible free throw shooter. He has a low turnover mark, so you're, you know, you're not able to wipe out one of his bad categories per se. We have really no idea what's going on with Oklahoma City. I think, and again, we're sort of thinking along along with the players here. The logic is that he's liable to get moved next season. It was always going to be a really difficult contract to move this year because he has another twenty million next season, and anybody wants him that's going to want him to go crash the glass and be an expiring contract. So does he get moved to a team that wants to utilize his services in a in a great amount? That's just not something I'm willing to roll the dice on at pick 60. When you again, when you look at some of the guys, there's about 20 names still on the board here that to me are not I want to say an easy pick over Stephen Adams, but a relatively easy pick over Stephen Adams. And you know, guys like Kevin Love, Jalen Brown, eh, eh, that one's. A little iffy. He's made a big jump this year. Brown's at number 56. Yeah, I think I'd probably put him as an easy guy over Steven Adams. Uh, Christian Wood, if they don't change anything in Detroit. Gordon Hayward. Buddy Heal. Devontae Graham in 8-cat. Oladipo. Ubre, Ricky Rubio. I, I think I'd take all of those guys over Steven Adams. I mean, just looking at what they did this last season... You know, Ricky Rubio, for instance, he was number 46 when the season was suspended in eight category leagues. He's a fantastic top 50 year. Kevin Love's at 48. Devontae Graham's at 55. Healed 54. Oubre, 50, uh, 58, excuse me. And then Eric Bledsoe's at 66. I totally forgot about him. Rozier, Brogdon, DeJounte Murray. I mean, the list is really, it's multiple rounds deep before you get into the Adams territory. So, I, I, you know, I get why you target this type of thing, but even if you're looking for just the, the traditional center to plug into your thing, I think I'd rather have Christian Wood. Because Detroit looks like they've gone into a full-fledged rebuild. I don't know what the hell they're going to do with Blake Griffin. Guys like Yusuf Nurkic were still out there. Could be an interesting value next year. Just too high, too much of a price to pay. And that's your 10 picks today. As mentioned, as mentioned, we're keeping this one short. Uh, hopefully everything goes well on our end. Would love it if those of you that had good thoughts to just think good ones for us here in the Bespris clan. And I have no idea what's coming up on our Thursday podcast. Or even if there will be one, I hope we can get one done. But I make no promises. If there's no show on Thursday, we'll talk to you on Friday. I reckon we'll have one here before the week comes to an end. Uh, extenuating circumstances, I think, is a safe way to put it. I am Dan Baspers. This is Fantasy NBA Today. Be safe. We'll talk to you when we talk to you. Tomorrow, the day after, who the hell knows? So long, everybody. This has been a Hoop Bowl presentation.